In July 1998, infant Allison Dalton was kidnapped from her home after her mother, Selena, was brutally murdered. In spite of a suspect rising to the top of the list early on, the killer of Selena has never been arrested, and the whereabouts of Allison remain unknown. I'm Charlie, and welcome to Crime Lines. Welcome back to the show. Tonight's case is a little bit shorter than what I've been doing the last few months. I've had so many episodes that were an hour or more. Some I had to split into two because they were two, two and a half hours long. This case, though, is a little bit shorter, but it's one that I feel so passionate about because this is a missing child case where the child who would now be an adult, may still be alive. She may be out there, and she may not know people are looking for her. I need to give two shout-outs before I even start this one. The first is The Charlie Project. I'm sure you've been on that website. I went out there. I was looking through cases. I was just reading up on things. You would think I wouldn't want to do that when my day job is writing about true crime and reading about true crime, but that's what I do in my spare time. I read The Charlie Project, and I found the entry for Baby Allison. The Charlie Project is an amazing resource that many podcasters use, and as someone who uses it, I also donate to the site. They need to cover expenses. There's expenses to maintaining such a huge site that gets so much traffic. There is the time commitment to look up these cases, write them up, make sure the information is accurate. That's not easy. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to where you can donate to the Charlie Project. If you think about it like Patreon, you might just be donating a couple of bucks, so you're skipping a coffee, but that money, if everybody listening right now skips a coffee and pays that money to the Charlie Project, it will really, really, really add up for them. So I really encourage everyone to go out to the Charlie Project and donate. Now, the Charlie Project was step one in finding this case. Step two was going to Facebook, and I searched for the names of Selena and Allison Dalton and found a Justice For page. When families have a public-facing advocacy page like this, I like to reach out to them if I'm covering the case. I tend not to reach out if they don't have a public-facing website or page like this because I don't want to intrude on anyone's private grief. In this case, Selena and Allison do have a page, but it's not managed by the family. It is managed by a private investigator named Chris Borba. And that's my second shout out. I want to thank him for talking to me about this case because the media coverage is a bit sparse. This case takes us to Strasburg, Virginia, and this is a city in the northern part of 
the state, very close to the West Virginia border, where West Virginia kind of loops over Virginia to the north. That's where we're talking about. Selena Jo Dalton was a 20-year-old new mom. She just had her first child, Allison. Allison was born early. She was a bit premature, so at 10 weeks when she went missing, she still only weighed about eight and a half pounds. On average, a baby who is 10 weeks old like this would be more like 11 or 12 pounds. So she was quite small, but she was catching up. She was putting on weight well. She was tiny, but healthy. She did have her days and nights mixed up to a certain degree, and she also dealt with colic. So Selena was dealing with a lot, just taking care of her daughter. She was not back to work yet from Allison's birth, and she was living with her mother. On the morning of Monday, July 27, 1998, Selena's mother Angela came home early in the morning. She had spent the weekend at the beach, so she came home Monday morning with just enough time to take a shower, get dressed, and head out to work. And she left at 7.45. When she left, Allison was in her swing in the living room. Selena told her mom that she had been up all night with Allison So she was going to lie down on the couch and take a nap while Allison was finally asleep in the swing. Between 1.30 and 2.15 in the afternoon, one of Selena's friends went over to the apartment. Selena did not venture out much quite yet with Allison. A new baby who was premature, who was colicky, all the reasons new moms will hide away with our babies. But Selena was also a social butterfly, so she often had friends come to her, come by the apartment, say hi, chat, keep her company. So this wasn't unusual for someone to stop by somewhat unannounced like this if they happened to be in the area which her friend was. There's also some information out there floating around that this friend stayed at the apartment with Selena and her mother, but that's been disputed a bit whether she was living there or not. That detail is not terribly important, so we'll just move on along. The friend got to Selena's apartment, which was second floor apartment, but no one answered the door when she knocked. She tried the doorknob and it was unlocked, so she walked in. She saw what looked like someone lying on the couch with a blanket pulled up over her. She said something to Selena like, you need to get up, you need to wake up, something like that. But there was no response. So the friend went over and pulled the blanket off, and that's when she found Selena stabbed to death. And what a horrific thing for her to have seen. I cannot even. Imagine this moment and what this did to her. Allison was not in her swing. Of course, the friend didn't know that she had been left in the swing, so she went and checked the crib, and Allison wasn't there either. At the same time the friend was in the apartment, 
processing what was going on. The phone rang and she answered it. It was another friend of Selena's who was just calling to say hi. This call came in before the friend even had a chance to call 911. So now this other friend is listening in on what had happened in the apartment what this friend had found. So she rushes over. So both of them are there. At some point, 911 was called to report both the murder of Selena and a kidnapping. Selena's aunt lived nearby, and she was either notified by a friend or she saw the commotion, I'm not sure which, but she heard what happened, and she was the one who called Selena's mother, Angela, at work. And she told her she had to come home immediately. And Angela got there so quickly that Selena's body was still on the couch when she got there. They hadn't even removed her yet. On autopsy, it was found that Selena had been stabbed five or six times. And these stabs counted. She was hit in the lungs, the heart, and the liver. Whoever did this was strong because these were deep wounds. Almost all of them hit organs. There were a few marks to her hands that would indicate defensive wounds, but based on the low number of them, plus the lack of blood spatter to show that she was moving around, it's believed she was ambushed while she was lying on the couch, likely asleep, and she had very little opportunity to defend herself. After being stabbed, she was covered with the blanket. Since Selena was lying down when the person entered the apartment, you would assume it was someone she knew and was comfortable enough that she wouldn't sit up or stand up when they came in unless she was asleep. And that is a distinct possibility. If you cannot figure out how you can sleep through someone walking in your apartment just feet away from you, you've never been an exhausted new parent. Being asleep when the attack occurred would explain why she couldn't defend herself. It was reported early on and often, pretty much in all the reports, that the only thing missing from the house was baby Allison and some baby bottles. And this is pretty key, because why would someone take the bottles unless they planned on taking care of the baby? They planned on feeding her. But when I talked to the private investigator on this case, Chris Borba, he told me he actually doesn't know where that information about the baby bottles has come from. Obviously, he's in contact with Selena's mother. He's spoken with all of her friends, has spoken to a friend that stayed at the apartment quite often. And none of them remember telling the police that bottles were missing or even that bottles were missing. They don't remember that. I don't know who else would have been in the apartment often enough to take stock of the baby bottles that were supposed to be there. So like Chris, I can't really figure out who would have told this to the state police if it wasn't her mother or a close friend. 
Chris said the state police have been pretty tight-lipped in regards to what they do know. And that's not just with the media. It's been the case with the family as well. So Chris hasn't been able to track down even where the police say the baby bottle story came from. It's not something the state police would have necessarily deduced on their own unless all the baby bottles were gone. So did Selena's mom say it and now she doesn't remember? This was incredibly traumatic for her, as you can hopefully only imagine. She just lost her daughter to violence in their own home. Her granddaughter was missing. I'm sure a lot of those early days are just a blur to her. So maybe something was said. It's also possible she said something that was misunderstood by the state police, and they thought she was saying the bottles were missing. We don't know because nobody's been able to see the case file. In open cases, the police will often not release the information. They don't want to compromise what they're working on. They don't want to compromise a future prosecution. But sometimes they will let the family or their private investigator or the family's attorney sit down at the station and look through portions of the file. I've talked to a lot of people who don't have a copy of a file, but have been able to see a lot of it at the station. But that's not the case here. They have seen very, very little. The media reported that after Allison went missing, there was a massive all-out search. The FBI was involved from the start, which is fairly appropriate with a child abduction, particularly with a murder like this. They set up roadblocks, but we are a little late for those to be terribly effective. The estimated time of death was between 9.15 in the morning and 10.30. So even if we put it at 10.30, the outside latest time, we're talking three and a half hours before Selena was found. Upwards of four hours. Someone could have gotten really, really far with Allison in that time. Searchers also combed the banks of the Shenandoah River. They dragged the river looking for any trace of Allison. Chris told me that there was a burn pile found by the river that was reported. It was suspected of having baby items in it. Chris doesn't know the resolution to this, but it doesn't make sense that it was linked to Allison. The only things that were maybe missing with her were bottles and possibly a baby blanket. Not anything else and not enough for there to be a burn pile of baby items. The police canvassed the neighborhood. Allison lived in a second-floor apartment in a complex, but this isn't one of those sprawling megaplex complexes. There are multiple buildings, but each parking lot only has, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen parking spots. So if you were in the parking lot or you were looking out your window at the parking lot, you could pretty much see everyone and everything. There was a neighbor 
who knew Selena from high school in the parking lot that day. She and her husband were working on their boat. They didn't hear anything or notice anything, and they definitely did not see anyone with a baby. The neighbor who lived below Selena seemed to be a pretty solid lead because he's right under her, could hear through the floorboards, possibly. His name was Bob Spencer, and he first told the police he didn't see a thing, he didn't hear a word, he didn't know anything, even though he was home at the time. But he later said to another neighbor that he actually did see something, and it was something really significant. He heard a noise, he looked out his window, and he saw a white man put a baby in the passenger side of a pickup truck. He did not get a good look at the man, but he said the guy just laid the baby on the seat. There wasn't a car seat or anything to put the baby in. He just laid the baby on the seat closed the door, got in, drove off. This neighbor, who Bob told the story to, went to the police and said, hey, Bob actually knows something. Go back and talk to him. And Bob did make an official statement about what he saw. He was hesitant to get involved with the police for whatever his own reasons are, but he did give his statement to them and a description of the truck. State police have said that, by policy, they do not publicly name suspects. But we know from the media reports that they looked closely at two men, both men Selena had intimate relationships with. And Selena actually had a few on-again, off-again boyfriends since high school. One had shipped off to the Navy, so he's obviously in the clear. From what Chris has said, he was gutted about this entire thing. The other two men were in the area, and one, who has not been named, had a solid alibi for the whole time. So he was cleared fairly early on. The third man was Daniel Pompel. As I said, the police won't name a suspect as policy, but they did say that Daniel has not been exonerated. He has not been cleared. Daniel was a bit older than Selena, nearly 10 years older. She had just turned 20, so he's pushing 30. Daniel was Allison's father, and Selena intended to pursue child support. On July 22nd, five days before the murder, an order was mailed to Daniel telling him he had to submit a DNA sample for a paternity test. Daniel told police that he didn't know he was the father of Allison. He didn't know that Selena was pursuing child support. And he didn't know about this paternity test because he didn't open the letter until after Selena's murder and Allison's disappearance. Daniel has characterized his relationship with Selena as more of a friendship than a romantic relationship. 
From what I understand, Daniel was married at the time, though it's not clear the state of the marriage. Were they separated? Were they married and this was an affair? Or did they have some type of open agreement? None of that is clear. But Daniel never denied that he was involved with Selena in some type of relationship. In spite of his characterization that they were mostly friends who had a good time together occasionally, the police were called on at least one occasion over a fight Selena and Daniel were having, and it was written as a domestic dispute. Selena's friends said that any relationship the two had really disintegrated after Selena got pregnant, which also undermines this idea that Daniel didn't know he was Allison's father. The day before she was murdered, Selena told a friend's mom that she was actually hoping to resolve things with Daniel out of court. Once she had the paternity test done, She wanted him to agree to help out informally because she was actually afraid to take him to court. She thought a court battle, a court order to pay child support, a possible garnishment of his wages, those things would make Daniel angrier. And the friend's mom said Selena was truly afraid of what Daniel would do in these circumstances. The motive in this theory would be that Daniel didn't want to pay child support or he didn't want the affair exposed, which is what the paternity test would do. It would get child support and expose the affair. But of course, on his side, he's saying he didn't open the letter. He didn't know he was Allison's father or that Selena was claiming he was the father. And if that was true, it removes his motive. But obviously, there's no way to prove when he opened that letter. Daniel did make a pretty serious admission to the police when he was being questioned, and that's that he was at the scene of the crime that morning. The morning of the murder, he went to Selena's apartment. There is some indication that he may have first denied it, and then confessed it. But either way, he said he swung around around 9 a.m. to check on Selena, just see how she was doing. He knocked on the door, didn't get an answer, and he left. The big thing this admission did was give the police probable cause. They were able to get a search warrant of his home. And in the probable cause affidavit, this is what you need to file to get the search warrant, It listed the reasons why they should be able to search. And one of the reasons was that he admitted to being at the apartment around the time of the murder. And the second reason was that he was angry about the possible child support order headed his way, which makes it sound like the police believed he opened that letter no matter what he said, whatever he claimed otherwise. From his home, they took clothes, they took some knives, sent those for testing. They also had a warrant for his DNA. None of that led anywhere except they did use his DNA to run a paternity test, 
I'm assuming they had items of Allison's around where they could get her DNA or possibly her cord blood was banked, that kind of thing. They used the paternity test to prove that he was, in fact, Allison's father. So Daniel's truck matched the description of the truck Bob Spencer, the neighbor, gave of the truck he saw a baby being put into. Now, if Bob just saw the truck, then that's fine because Daniel said he was in the parking lot. He went to the door, he knocked, he left. But that's not what Bob said he saw. He saw the man driving that truck put a baby in the passenger seat. If this pickup was Daniel's, case closed. He was seen kidnapping his daughter. I mean, we don't know where Allison is, so the whole mystery's not solved. But this would at least prove Daniel did this. If this truck was not Daniel's, then we have a second man who went to that apartment, killed Selena, and kidnapped Allison. And you would have to wonder who else would have had a motive to do this. We know Selena had on-again, off-again boyfriends. Maybe it's possible one of them thought he was Allison's father and had the same motive that we're assigning to Daniel. There was a federal grand jury convened, and Bob testified to what he saw. Grand juries are sealed, of course, so we don't know what was said. But we do know Bob was there because someone else who testified saw him at the courthouse and told Chris Borba, the private investigator, that he made his statement to the grand jury. But this didn't end in an indictment. Whatever was given to the grand jury just wasn't enough to take to trial. But it's a good thing we had this, and this grand jury was held because Bob died in 2002. His sworn testimony is now on the record. If this does go to trial eventually, at least we have something from Bob. It might not be perfect because in a grand jury, he wouldn't have been cross-examined by a defense counsel, but we have something. The lack of movement on this case has been incredibly hard on the family and friends of Selena, and the people looking for Allison. And it's been harder on Selena's mom, Angela, than on anyone else. In the few interviews she has given, she has complained that she's not being kept in the loop. The police aren't telling her what's going on or any progress they're making, and she's worried that they're not doing anything. That is really a family's worst nightmare, to imagine their loved one's case sitting on a shelf somewhere, being ignored. So in 2001, Angela stopped waiting. She filed a wrongful death suit against Daniel for killing Selena and kidnapping Allison. She sued him for $1.5 million. The case was eventually dismissed due to lack of evidence. Since a civil court has a lower standard of proof than a criminal one, this tells us that there isn't enough to go to trial. Now, 
the state police or the FBI may have more that they've not shared with Angela, but on the surface, there just isn't enough. It sounds to me like the family is worried that there isn't enough to take Daniel to trial because the investigation was not thorough enough, they didn't act quickly enough, they didn't run enough tests, they didn't do what they needed to do. And these early missteps that the family is worried happened may compromise this case going forward. When I talked to Chris Borba, I suggested two DNA tests. One would be obviously test Selena's clothes, the blanket she was covered with, and if they still have it, Allison's swing. We have much better DNA tech now than we had in the late 1990s when this happened. We can test mixed samples. We can test much smaller samples. A killer's touch DNA can be detected, amplified, and run against known samples. But we may not have to rely on touch DNA in this case. Stabbings can very often cause the killer to cut themselves. As the knife gets covered in blood, it gets slippery. It takes a lot of force to stab someone. So we might not even be looking for touch DNA. We might be looking for blood. At the scene, which obviously had Selena's blood everywhere, this blood may be mixed with hers and was mistaken at the time to be hers. So I say test everything you can right now because the killer's blood may be there. And of course, that's up to the investigators. Chris and the family don't have the evidence in their possession. They have to rely on the state and the FBI being willing to test the evidence. If these types of tests have been done, the family has not been told about them. So they are under the impression they have not been done. The second DNA test that I recommended is something that the family could do on their own, and that's to have Selena's mom do a DNA test, submit it to Ancestry, get a 23andMe kit, submit it there, take the results, put them on GEDmatch, and so on. If Allison is alive somewhere and knows or finds out that she was quote-unquote adopted, she may submit her own DNA to one of these places. I can't even tell you how many people I know who were adopted or placed children for adoption who reconnected through these ancestry sites. I have friends who have found out they have siblings they never knew about through these ancestry sites. If Allison is alive today, I think that's the best chance they have of finding her. Daniel Pompel has asserted his innocence all along. He did not kill Selena. He did not take Allison. The state police have said that he has been cooperative, but Chris learned that he wouldn't take a polygraph, which shows that there was at least some limit to his cooperation. In re-interviewing everybody, Chris went and talked to Daniel himself. Daniel told him the same story about being at the apartment at 9 a.m., knocking, no one answering, and then him leaving. 
But then he produced a bunch of ATM receipts to Chris to show that he wasn't at the apartment. He was buying something big like a car part and needed cash. So he went to multiple machines because of the ATM withdrawal limits. He went to three or four machines and took out a couple hundred dollars from each one. And to Daniel, this shows he had an alibi. But he said he was there at nine. So these receipts, to me, don't really say a whole lot. He could have committed the crime and then gone to the ATMs to build an alibi. These are not mutually exclusive events. Just because the murder is estimated to have happened around 9.15 or later, and he said he was there at 9, it doesn't mean the medical examiner wasn't off by a few minutes. Time of death is not that precise. Selena's friends and family, who were not fans of Daniel before Selena's death because of how he treated her, they believe he did it, and they're not shy about that. In any interview with anyone from Selena's side, they pretty much just point their finger at Daniel. Daniel's family, on the other side of things, they're defending him, and they started a Justice for Daniel E. Pompel Facebook page at one point to assert his innocence. It has since been deleted, and I could not retrieve it from the Wayback Machine, so I don't know what it said in his defense. There are people on both sides of this who think Allison is alive and out there. So people who think Daniel killed Selena believe that he gave Allison away. And people who think Daniel's innocent believe that Allison and Selena were unfortunate victims of a random infant abduction. We hear about infant abductions where the person just wants a baby. And Allison is definitely the right age and the right size for something like this. The Fall Line podcast did an entire season called The Grady Babies that focused on these types of infant abductions. In those cases, the mothers were not killed. They were preyed on by someone who earned their trust, often presenting themselves as nurses, other times presenting themselves as just someone who wanted to help out. But we also know from the recent Savannah Greywind episode that there are women who will kill the mother to get the baby. Those were fetal abductions, but if you're willing to kill a woman who is pregnant for her baby, I'm sure it's not that hard of a leap to kill a woman to take her baby who has already been born. The thing is, who would this have been? Selena didn't really meet a lot of new people in the 10 weeks she had Allison. She wasn't expecting someone who was posing as a home health nurse or a CPS worker to come in. She wasn't going to let someone who she didn't know hold Allison. So the scenarios of these other infant abductions don't necessarily fit. And it's also believed Allison's abductor was a man. According to the stats provided by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, infant abductors, where they're taking the baby to raise on their own, these are almost always women. 
the likelihood is high that Selena was killed by someone known to her, someone who knew her mother would be at work and she wouldn't. And it's someone who planned this. They didn't walk in, see Selena sleeping and think, oh, good thing I brought this knife. I mean, they brought a knife. They knew they were going there to kill her. This was premeditated murder. But the question is, if the person who murdered Selena could also kill a tiny eight and a half pound baby. If the plan was to kill the baby, why did they take her? Why didn't they kill her there and then? What if the person who went there to kill Selena couldn't bear to kill Allison, this little baby, and did pass her off to another family? This was 1998, so it was getting harder by then to fake things. People had started getting social security numbers for their babies at birth rather than waiting. So much was already being digitized and was easy to search, but it it could have happened. And we're at the stage now in 2019 that if Allison is alive, she would be figuring things out. She would be figuring out that her adoption was shady. She would have turned 21 in May 2019. So she would have wanted to get a job by now, go to college, get a driver's license, do something by this point where she would need a legit birth certificate. One case that's fairly on point here is that of Kamaya Mobley. She was identified at the age of 18 when her personal identification papers were flagged as forgeries. She had been kidnapped from the hospital, and her kidnapper raised her as her own. Kamaya was just a couple weeks older than Allison, so again, we're talking 1998. Then there's the case of Carlina White. She was born a bit earlier. She was born in 1987, and she solved her own kidnapping. She was 18 years old and she needed health insurance, so she asked her mom for her birth certificate, and her mom gave it to her. When Carlina tried to present it to get insurance, she was told it was a fake. She confronted her mom, who admitted she was not biologically related to her, but she said Carlina had been abandoned and she took her in. That's why there wasn't any legal paperwork. But Carlina wanted to know more. So five years later, she was on the website for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and she saw a baby picture. It was a 19-day-old baby who looked pretty much exactly like Carlina's own daughter. And the description said the baby was kidnapped from the hospital after her father had brought her in for an infection. She called Nick Mick. She said, I think I'm that baby. She submitted a DNA test. And at 24 years old, she was reunited with her birth family. So Allison would be right here in that age where she's probably noticing this paperwork isn't what she needs. And maybe she's going to stumble on the right website like Carlina did. But honestly, we have to face the possibility that Allison Dalton was killed that day. The abduction may have been part of a staging to make authorities think this was an infant abduction and that Selena was killed 
so that someone could take Allison and raise her happily as their own. Or that the person who went there and stabbed Selena intended to kill Allison but just couldn't do it. So he or she took her from the home to buy some time to figure out what to do. If the plan was always to kill both of them and the murderer got cold feet, I have to imagine it was temporary because this person would then have a baby and no plan. A baby people were looking for or would be looking for very quickly. Something similar to this happened in Alberta, Canada. Edward Downey had killed Sarah Bailey and kidnapped her five-year-old daughter, who was a witness. It's believed that Edward had the five-year-old for hours before he could make himself kill her. Maybe you can stab to death a woman who you dementedly think wronged you somehow, but it takes a particular type of person who could look at a defenseless little baby and also kill her. People are split on this case, and personally, I'm split right down the middle. If Daniel did it, I can't imagine a scenario where Allison is alive. The state police and the FBI looked into him right away. They looked into his friends and his family, and no one suddenly had a baby they couldn't account for. Now, if this was someone else, if this wasn't Daniel, someone who wanted a baby or even another man who thought he might be the father and just wanted the baby out of his life, maybe she is out there and grew up happily unaware of the trauma she experienced. Chris and the family and friends of Selena have done a lot of work to get more information in the media. The early media coverage is pretty sparse and it isn't largely available online, which is where we go for news these days. Very few people are at the Shenandoah County Library browsing the microfiche for this story. I used my paid account to newspaper archives and still found very little. But since Chris took on the case in 2016, he has gotten a lot more local coverage, but also national coverage like on Crime Watch Daily. I found the story, like I said, on the Charlie Project and connected with Chris through the Facebook page for the case. So word is getting out now, all these years later, thanks to a huge push by those who are now trying to solve this case. But before then, there's not that much news out there, and I cannot even process why this case is shocking. It's a child who might still be alive out there. Why did this case not get? more publicity early on. They have done age progressions of Allison, and I will put them on social media. Hopefully someone recognizes her. Allison Dalton would be 21 years old. She has brown hair and blue eyes. There has been at least one possible match ruled out through DNA. So as people come forward, they are pursuing that. But what Chris thinks is the most likely key to solving this case is someone remembering being at the apartments that day and seeing something. There was only one door in and out of Selena's apartment. Whoever took Allison went out that door 
and into the parking lot in broad daylight. There is no alternative way out. There is reason to believe that the neighbor Bob was not home alone that day. Maybe the person or persons who were with him didn't want to get involved 20 years ago. Maybe they had their own things going on and didn't want to be involved with the police, which was why Bob didn't come forward at first. But it's been 20 years. Relationships have changed. Situations have changed. Statute of limitations on whatever they were doing 20 years ago is gone. But those people need to come forward. They may know something that can solve this. And if you have any information, you can call the Virginia State Police at 540-829-7766. The number will be in the show notes. 